We're not going to be in Matthew today. It's going to be Thanksgiving week here. Um, we're going to have that in just a, a few days. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I wanted to use this as an occasion to be able to praise our Lord, to lift high the name of Jesus, um, as he would relate to something that we often overlook every single day, multiple times a day, when we have multiple opportunities, when we are engaging in something that could be very <coughs> praiseworthy. Um, and that is praying for food. Most of us would pray for food at least over one meal a day, you know, usually the dinner table. Um, a family comes together and they pray over their food, asking thanks of God or blessing it, as some might say. Um, and some of us, we, you know, perhaps we say just a little word of thanks in our heads, whether it's out loud or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, this is something that has been um, a tradition for many generations. Um, most of us were raised to say, say grace, as it's called by some people. Um, before our meals. You can't eat a meal unless you pray <laughs> um, for the food. Um, and I just want to use this as an opportunity to talk to us about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is coming up. Thanksgiving is a time when family gets together around a, a table. Everybody, you know, sometimes some, people, some families have the tradition that everybody will go around and share something that they're thankful for. Um, somebody, usually the patriarch of the family, will um, say uh, a thanks to God, even in families that aren't really Christian. Uh, on Thanksgiving, still, sometimes, somebody will be elected to say grace, how the best they can, whether it's a, a poem or something they learned, a prayer that they learned as a child. Um, saying thanks at Thanksgiving to God is still routine. Um, so let's, we're going to talk about that today. At Thanksgiving, we devote the entire day to the concept of thankfulness. Coincidentally, what else is the main priority of the day besides football? <laughs> it's food, right? On Thanksgiving, food is typically the priority. When you see pictures um, representing Thanksgiving... You usually see a cornucopia filled with different types of food. You see a picture of a turkey, stuffings, corn, mashed potatoes, pies. Thanksgiving, yeah, pie. <laughs> uh, Thanksgiving is, you know, food is what we think of when we think of Thanksgiving. We also think of family, but we usually don't think of them separated from a time of sharing a meal together. Um, and in two, varied, in two different events in the Gospels, we actually find Jesus himself thanking God for the food that he and others were about to eat. We see that in two occasions. There are actually uh, eight, that would be eight stories, because actually both of these occasions occur in all four of the Gospels. Um, so you can find this on eight different occasions, Jesus thanking um, the Father for food. Um, but there are only, but there are, for you know, each gospel records two different occasions. One being the feeding of the five thousand and the four thousand, which you could split those up if you want, and the Last Supper, you know, the the first communion. Uh, those at those occasions, if we find Jesus saying thanks to the Father um, for the food that they were about to partake in. And in both cases. 
um, this thanksgiving from Jesus to the Father um, is also called blessing, right? You know, in a couple of the Gospels, it says Jesus gave thanks. In a couple of the Gospels, it says Jesus blessed the food. Um, and we use those terms interchangeably. You know, we'll ask, hey, can you bless the food? Um, or can you say, say thanks for the food? Say grace. We have different terms for this. And the Gospels use blessing and thanks um, in both these situations. In Mark 6.41, Jesus blesses the food. But in John 6.11, Jesus gives thanks, it says. But they're the same story. Um, Jewish tradition at the time of Jesus would have held that Jews would recite a blessing benediction before, before or after meals. Uh, most Jews at that time would say this blessing after the meal, uh, but some would say before the meal. And in, in the scriptures, Jesus said, the, said blessing on the food before the meal would start. Um, the benediction went like this. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. This is the mealtime prayer that a Jew would engage in. The patriarch of the family would often stand um, and say, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. That is how people in the Jewish tradition would thank God for their food. They would recite this blessing benediction. And perhaps this comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. You can look there with me if you want. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we see some origins of where um, the tradition of praying for our food comes from. Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 3. We're kind of jumping into a story that Moses is telling. Deuteronomy is a book. Um, Moses is about to die. The people are about to enter into the promised land. Um, and this is Moses is reminding the people of the law and how they are to conduct themselves once they enter into the promised land. This is Deuteronomy is kind of like Moses' farewell address. Uh, in, in Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 3, it says, He humbled you, talking about God in the, you know, in the wilderness, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, for, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. So this is... Um, typically considered to be the original um, address concerning thanking God for food. But as we saw in this passage, what Moses was depicting was not simply a mealtime prayer. It was not simply 
um, thanking God for the meal that's in front of you. It was thanking God for all that he has done from generations past and bringing about his promise to Abraham, bringing the people into a good land where they will never lack anything. You know, David quotes that in one of the most famous Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I shall not be in need of anything. And he is quoting this, essentially this idea that Moses is laying out in Deuteronomy chapter 8, that God's is bringing his people into a situation where they're not going to be in need of anything. They will be satisfied. They will be filled. And we have to understand that God is infinitely interested in the, um, in the, um, what do you, what's the word I'm trying to look for? In our souls. He's interested in our souls, Right. Everything that God does is not ultimately about our physical state in life. However, our physical state in life does nurture and cultivate our souls. That's why he starts out in verse three, in chapter eight, verse three, he humbled and let you hunger. He humbled you and let you hunger, right? He used hunger with the people to humble them. To bring them to a place where they recognized their dependence on God. They were out in the desert. Who could they hope in? The faithless hoped in Egypt. And they complained against Moses and they wanted to go back to Egypt because at least there they could have food. They hoped in the world for food. But the faithful hoped in God for food. They recognized the promise of God. And followed him. God fulfilled his promise and he let them hunger so they could come to a point of humility so that when God provided for them, they could see that he is worth following, that he is their provider. He is their sustainer. He is Jehovah Jireh because he brought out a need so that he could fulfill the need and show to us that he is there for us. In this case, that he, that he was there for them. He was making it obvious through this giving of manna in the beating desert, the sun-scorched desert. He is making it clear to the people, he had made it clear to the people that he was there for them. He provided food out of nowhere. He provided water out of nowhere because he loves them. So we can see in the scriptures from the very beginning, in the Torah, that one, one of the primary ways throughout the history of his working through his people is by providing them food. So Moses commands them in verse 10, you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Why? Because he is worthy of being blessed and thanked because he has he established the people and he sustained his people that he had established. And that he was with them, he made it clear that he was with them, and they were to always thank him for his sustaining power that he had always given them in their, in their lives. Now this became a tradition over time to take opportunity at mealtimes to thank God. And you can, even, you can see some of this in, Deuteron- in, in the blessing benediction. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth, you know, this idea got put into this traditional benediction that these people would pray at mealtime to remind them who is the king of the universe 
I'm not going to break out into a camp song. Um, to remind them, who is their king? Who has been their provider all along? It, you know, when they prayed this prayer, they were meant to think back to all of the provision that God had, had given to his people for generations. And that God was still with them today. So this mealtime prayer was not just for the, the plate that was in front of them. It was, to rem- it was an opportunity to remember God's faithfulness throughout all generations. And, you know, when we, we partake in communion, okay? When you see communion being administered in the New Testament, it was actually a mealtime. People would break bread together. They would come together. They would share a meal. They would have their fill. And they would do it in the name of Jesus. They would thank Jesus for the sacrifice that he had made for them by shedding his blood on the tree, by giving his body for them, symbolized in the bread and in the wine. And they were now taking that as an opportunity. They were no longer necessarily remembering God's provision in the wilderness wanderings of God's people. Now with communion, they are blessing the Lord over the bread and the wine in thankfulness and gratefulness for God providing a great salvation for their souls. And that is occurring over a meal. But we often very much distinguish these two concepts, eating food in our own house. We have communion where we have this tiny little piece of bread and this tiny little cup of watered-down grape juice. Um, I'm not saying anything's wrong with that necessarily, but we need to start putting some pieces together in our brains concerning gratefulness and thankfulness to God, where thanking God for a meal has come from, and therefore some implications that we can start applying to our own lives. And maybe we can resurrect this, this tradition of thanking God for meals and using it as an opportunity to remember God's faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ and being our great provider of our souls. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus, the word of life, who has became flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. And maybe when we're eating our food, we can remember that. And thank God for far more than the peas and the turkey and the mashed potatoes that currently sit on our plate. And perhaps God meant for us to have a tradition, a mealtime tradition, simply because even today, 2,000 years from Christ, 4,000 years from Abraham, um, we still have multiple reminders of His sustaining grace. We have multiple opportunities every day where it's already a tradition to pray. And we can take advantage of those opportunities to remember the goodness of God throughout all generations. In 1 Corinthians 10.30, you can follow me along in some of these passages. I'm going to run through a few passages right now where we see Prayer and thankfulness being used in conjunction in the New Testament with food. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30 says, If I partake with thankfulness, why am I being denounced of that which I, for, for which I give thanks? Now this is in a context um, that is worthy of, of, uh, of going through. But suffice it for today to, to see here in this passage that Paul is associating thankfulness with food. And that's what this, this whole passage was about, eating food, um, and even food offered to idols. 
Um, he's saying he, he's partaking with thankfulness. Romans chapter 14, verse 6. Romans 14, verse 6 says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Again, we see eating associated with thanks to God. Now, these are also in particular contexts that are worthy of fleshing out, but we're not going to take time on that today. But these, these next two make it a little bit more clear. Um, their context is less about um, a separate agenda. 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence of food that God created to be received with thanksgiving for those, by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So again, we see eating and the receiving of food used in conjunction with thanksgiving. In Acts chapter 27, Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 33. This is in the middle of a, a story that Luke is telling about... Um, Paul on a ship that's about to be wrecked. The people have already thrown the food overboard and they're hungry and they haven't eaten for a while, but they have some food left. In verse 33, it says, As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to all take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. So we see Paul taking the opportunity to thank God, not just for the food. You know, they're in the middle of a storm where the, there's been a storm raging for days. The people have been in suspense for, for two weeks at least over this storm, thinking that today might be the day they're dead. And Paul tells them, it's all come around. You're not going to die. You're hungry. You haven't been eating because you've been working to not die. I'm telling you, God will take care of you. Let's eat some food. So he takes it as an opportunity at mealtime to thank God. I'm sure that as he thanked God, he probably still thanked, he thanked him for their safety that they had experienced. Thanked them for his thanked God for his faithfulness to them and thanked them, thanked God for the food that they were about to partake, that it would nourish and strengthen them. So we occur, see this occurring in the New Testament where Paul still kept up a tradition of thanking God during a mealtime, but not just for necessarily a meal, but, the, but the, the praiseworthiness of God and all of his faithfulness to the people. In all these cases, food is associated with thanksgiving to God. The receiving of food provides for us a time of humble submission 
when we remember that God's grace continues to sustain us, even through food. The first prayer request that Jesus tells us after the acknowledging the Lordship of God, the Father. So, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're acknowledging the Lordship of God over all things. That's the introduction to how Jesus wanted us to pray. But what's the first thing he told us to pray for right after that? Right after the most important thing, the Lordship of God. Give us this day our daily bread. That was the first thing he tells us to pray right after the Lordship of God. Even before, I mean, there's other very important things in that prayer, like forgiveness, deliverance from evil. Those are some very important things. (laughs) But the first thing, the first earthly thing that he tells us to pray for is for our food. So that God will provide his food. Not because food in itself is more important than forgiveness from God or deliverance from evil, but a stature of humble, childlike reliance on God is a prerequisite to really being able to understand the forgiveness of God and his deliverance from evil. The Lordship of God requires humble submission. We start the prayer with we start prayer with that. And that's how that prayer starts in the Jewish benediction. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. That's, that was the beginning of the Jews' prayers, establishing the, the creatorship and the lordship of God at mealtime. Therefore, being able to understand thankfulness, a thankful dependence on God for even the food that they were about to partake in. And look at Acts chapter 14, if you would, with me. This is a very interesting passage that we could spend a lot of time on, but we're not going to. This is the passage that Brother Rich just read moments ago. We're just going to focus on a few verses here. Um, Paul and Barnabas had just healed a man... um, and the people, I mean, he's in, a, he's in a Gentile area that worshipped Greek gods like Zeus and Hermes that we found in this passage while Rich was reading it. Um, and they were proclaiming the word of the Lord to these people. In the midst of their time there, they healed a man, which the people, the Gentiles in that area were associating with the power of Zeus. And then Paul, since he was the great orator, They associated with Hermes, um, who was kind of the messenger of Zeus, basically. But Paul and Barnabas were very um, sad about what they were doing. They were about to sacrifice to them, thinking that they were gods in the flesh, when all that they wanted to do was come and tell them about God who had come in the flesh, Jesus Christ. That was why they were there, to tell everybody about Jesus coming in the flesh from heaven to be our Redeemer, and who brought even the Gentiles into a saving relationship with God. But here in verse 15, Paul starts to speak, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things 
to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Okay, establishing the lordship of God once again. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. So he's talking to them as Gentiles, and I think we would have a better understanding of this passage if we spent time working through Acts, seeing how it starts off with Judaism, Jews being the center of the attention of the gospel, and then being spread out to the Gentile nations. The Jews were to repent and and put their faith in their Messiah, Now the Gentiles are being brought in to put their faith into the Jews' Messiah, um, being united by faith in Christ. And uh, this is Paul essentially going out and giving the invitation to all the nations around the world. But also acknowledging in verse 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Okay, God in the Old Testament worked in Israel. Okay? He did not have temples set up all around the Gentile nations. His presence was in Israel. All the other nations were doing their own thing, worshiping their own gods. And God was content to have it so for a time because he was forming his plan of redemption for the whole world through Israel. Israel was a place of incubation for worldwide redemption and salvation. But while that incubation period was going on, while Israel was following the law of Moses, all the other Gentile nations had nothing to do with it. They had nothing to do with the law of Moses. They had nothing to do with the temple, except for the few proselytes that happened to um, come over to Judaism. So in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet in verse 17, he did not leave himself without a witness. For, and here we see the witness of God that he did leave with the Gentile nations for all that time. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So we see that here, God is still, even though he was not working amongst the Gentiles, he had not forgotten them and he still loved them. And he was showing that to them in the simple fact that he satisfied their hearts with gladness and food because of all the provision that he was continuing to give them. So there is something to food. Food is simple. We eat it every day, most of us. (laughs) It's not always been so. But I would say suffice it to say for the people sitting here today, Most of us probably eat every single day. Sometimes we can overlook the opportunity here to really see God's goodness and His faithfulness in it. It's easier, I think, in other nations where food is not so commonplace. We have all sorts of options, all sorts of availability. Food is cheap here, relatively speaking. We might think that $3 for a gallon of milk is expensive. But other people would be would kill, literally, for a gallon of milk. <laughs> they would take somebody's life for a gallon of cold milk. Or a loaf of bread. Or a basket of cucumbers. So sometimes it is easy for us, as we sit down at mealtime and we say a, 
a little pithy prayer of thanks to God. There's nothing wrong with a pithy prayer. I mean, the blessing benediction was very pithy, short, to the point. Nothing wrong with that. But maybe we can take opportunity to use, start using that time to remember His faithfulness to us through that food that we're receiving and His faithfulness throughout our whole life. You know, in Acts 17, Paul is still talking to, the Gent- to, to other Gentiles in Athens. And in verse 24, he is t- he's telling them, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of the heavens and the earth, Okay, again, establishing the sovereignty of God, as he tends to do. Does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. For he is not actually far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. And I want to, well, let's, a couple more verses. Being then God's offspring, we ought to not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and the imagination of God. The time of ignorance God overlooked. Talking about the time of ignorance amongst the Gentiles. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given us assurance by raising him from the dead. So in this, in this sermon, he starts with the sovereignty of God and he moves on to the fact that we don't serve him. He's been serving us all along. <laughs> when we serve God... It is in gratefulness, and it's in grateful response to the fact that He has already worked among us and, sat, and provided for us, established us, satisfied us, sustained us. The great praise of our grateful service is the fact that He has already been infinitely more kind and generous to us. And he said, you know, and Paul essentially throughout this sermon is talking about the fact that, you know, kind of related to the the witness that God left amongst the Gentiles throughout all these ages where the Gentiles didn't have the law, but he still gave them enough to whet their appetite for God. That's why they're all worshiping idols, because every man from every nation, every woman from every nation knows that there is something outside of themselves. Every person in the world has this sense that there is somebody who is responsible for all of this. Everybody at one point, I mean, where do you think this theory of evolution has come from? At the very beginning, it was just this simple thought process of like, where in the world did all this stuff come from? Because it's natural for humanity to ask those questions. Where in the world did all this come from? Why am I talking about all of this? Because I want to give us, to remind us of the opportunity at a mealtime to remember where it all came from. Where, why am I able to sit here and eat this meal? What are the origins? 
How far back can I think to see God in all of this? Let me expand the scope of my, not imagination, but my able to sense the reality around me. How have I come to this place to be able to live as I do, to eat as I do, to have what I have, to be saved, to be forgiven? Where did all this come from? It did not come from me. It came from the grace of God. So when we sit and we have a meal in front of us, let us take an opportunity to remember the great grace of God. And maybe when we start praying, we can start taking a cue from a Jewish benediction or these introductions that Paul was so keen to use. The God who made the world and everything in it. The Lord of heaven and the earth. Maybe we can start remembering His sovereignty over all things. And only because of His sovereignty, not just His sovereignty, but His sovereign love and His sovereign grace that provides all things for all people because He is full of compassion and He sees our need and He is one who loves to provide for it. So we can keep in mind this Thanksgiving at least. And maybe every meal up to that, maybe every meal after that. But at least here on Thanksgiving, we're talking about food and provision. You think, why did the first Thanksgiving happen? I mean, when you think about the early pilgrims, and you read the stories of all the things that they went through, you know, we have these colorful tables filled with food, and they probably didn't have nearly as much food as we have on our Thanksgiving tables. Most of them were dead. Most of the men and women that had come over were dead by the first Thanksgiving because of starvation and sickness. But they sat there, those who were still there, and had learned some things and had started moving on, were there in thankfulness, not necessarily to the Indians, but to God. Because they were still there and the God had still provided this bounty. They had a time and opportunity when they weren't thinking about what they had lost. They were thinking about what God had provided. There's plenty of time that we think about what we have lost. We have all lost something dear to us in our lives. Every one of us. And sometimes those thoughts of what we have lost can overwhelm us and take the high seat in our life. But this Thanksgiving, let's remember the first Thanksgiving was filled with people who had lost almost everyone. And let us also remember, we're not remembering the pilgrims necessarily. I mean, that's not what this is all about. Let us remember that God has established us in our livelihood. Let us remember that God has sustained us. Let us remember that God has been merciful to the unworthy. Let us remember that God satisfies us with goodness. Let us remember that God has provided salvation for us. 
Let us also remember that God is interested in giving us glad hearts. He's interested in satisfying us. He doesn't want us to mope around our whole lives long. That's not his will. Perhaps most importantly, let us remember that God has welcomed us to his table of fellowship. Every one of us, the welcome is out there. Every one of us. Let us remember this Thanksgiving, his sovereignty, his great provision, his hand on our lives, and give him great thanks because he is the great God of the world and everything in it, and he is the Lord of the heavens and the earth. And we sit under him, and we have received all that we have from him. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. We thank you that we have become partakers of not just the bread of the earth, but the bread from heaven. We thank you for sending us a Jesus to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. I pray that we would go about with great glad hearts, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. (coughs) Let us live each day reminding ourselves at least two or three times a day, reminding ourselves of your greatness, your worthiness, and reminding ourselves that your worthiness and your free will has given us a Savior, so that we might be partakers in your feast. In Jesus' name.